So this morning, our because it is Laity Sunday, our Laity person of the day is our new disaster re response coordinator, and we pray that it all goes according to as little glitches as possible. How's that? So here she is. Let's give her a warm welcome. Leslie Follen. morning. I don't know if I can um, do any better than Pastor Kendra with the children's service, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to use her step too. I feel tall. So my name is Leslie Folland. Um, for, I guess in 2021, I actually said yes to being the Erie Meadville Disaster Response Coordinator. I didn't know what it was or what the job was. I had a rough idea. I thought I had a rough idea. And so I said yes, because when God calls you, you say yes, right? Um, I spent about a year having no idea what I was doing with the job. There was some flooding in Titusville, and I got a call from Dave Kissinger, who it was the conference coordinator at the time. And he said, hey, you need to organize this. And I said, I, what am I doing? And so he helped me through that. He said, call these people. See if you can get some people to come and respond to these homes that need some help. And I said, okay. So I sent out a bunch of emails and I made a few phone calls. And well, unfortunately, in the Erie Meadville district, we don't have very many ERTs anymore. A lot of them have moved or fully believe that they are too old to do the job. I strongly disagree. So anyone who's here today believes that they are too old to do anything in disaster relief, let me be the first person to tell you that you're abs absolutely wrong. All right. So. I thought I'd begin today by kind of defining what a disaster is. And of course, Webster's a great definition for that. He says it's a sudden disaster or a sudden event or a series of events that cause great damage, loss, or destruction to a community or a society. Disasters can be separated into two categories, natural or man-made. Earthquakes, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, accidents, fires, explosions. A disaster affects a community's ability to cope using its own resources and may require external assistance. Has anyone here ever experienced a disaster? Pastor Kendra has. She had a church that flooded, and disaster response actually responded to that. So I have. Um, in 1996, in Brookville, Pennsylvania, a little town about two hours southeast of here, heavy rains caused their, caused their dam to fail. Um, water flooded and took out several roads, many homes, and uh, quite a difficult situation for everyone. Sometimes disasters can be less large. And this is one of the nice things about disaster response. So 
what if you had a pipe burst in your house and your, your house flooded? You have a basement full of water now because you went away for the weekend and came back and you had a mess. Disaster response can help you with that. I had a friend who had that happen once. I didn't know about disaster response, and let me tell you, they probably really could have used the help that's available. All right, so now that we know what a disaster is, let's talk about what disaster response is. I mean, it seems simple, right? It's responding to the disaster. But it's also the actions that you take before, during, and in the aftermath of disaster. There are four phases to disaster response. Readiness. Does your church have a plan for preparing for or responding to a disaster? How will you help your community prepare for disaster? The second stage is rescue, and this is best left to the professionals. This is when the disaster strikes and the rescue begins. This is where your EMTs, your fire, your police are going to be responding. The third stage is relief, and that's where... I come in because now I currently wear two hats. So if there's anyone here who wants one of my hats, let me know because I'd be happy to give it to you. Because I am also the Erie Meadville Disaster Response Coordinator. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to wear two hats, but no one's told me how to put one down yet. <laughs> so this is where I'm going to start helping get things organized. But I'm going to need the help of our local churches. We're going to have to do damage assessments. We're going to need to figure out what the needs are of our community. So what can you do? You're going to go out and talk to your neighbors. You're going to find out who needs help and what kind of help do they need. This is going to help your district disaster response coordinator, who's me, and your conference disaster response con coordinator, who's also me, figure out whether or not this disaster can be handled within our local community or we need to pull in some outside help. And the third stage is gonna be recovery. First thing to um, keep in mind is that the local area owns their disaster. So it's up to us to determine whether or not we need help and if we wanna call people in to do that. So your district disaster response coordinator will begin to organize the teams of ERTs to help get whatever services are needed to the homes, businesses, and other locations within your community. Recovery is divided into two phases. Short-term, which is restoration of your critical functions, damage assessments, debris removal, restoring power and water, and providing temporary housing. And then there's long-term, and that's gonna be the rebuilding of the physical, social, and emotional, and economic workings of the community. And that can take years years to do. So, now that we've said we're going to call in teams of ERTs, what's an ERT? These are going to be your individuals who have successfully completed UMCOR's early response training. This is the training that prepares them to respond to disasters in their local community and when requested to deploy to other areas to help with their recovery efforts. These are ideally teams of six or more individuals. So why six? Because there are six key positions within a disaster response team. And having six people to fill six positions allows you to kind of evenly distribute the work. 
So what's, what are those positions? You're going to have a team leader and an assistant team leader. Their job is very similar. The team leader is going to possess the overall understanding of what early response is and does. The Sorry, I think I'm banging on the pulpit. I apologize. Um, the assistant team leader is going to do something very similar. They might be someone who's kind of learning to move into that role of team leader. The important skills for these people are going to be a leadership skill and, of course, the knowledge of disaster response. Then you have your logistics coordinator. And this person is the person who helps the team find their needed supplies, transportation, especially when responding outside of your local community, and they're also going to be responsible for site safety. And site safety is really important because we never want to send people into some place where they're going to get hurt. They're going to make sure that there's no power in the building. They're going to make sure that the, the structure is secure. Then we have our base camp manager. This person arranges for the food, the water, the meal prep, possibly some place for um, the ERTs to sleep. And this could be because um, we're responding to a disaster far from home, or maybe because we have people coming into our community who are going to help us with a disaster and we need some place for them to stay. They're also going to kind of liaise with your local church. Sometimes it's a church you're sleeping in um, to make sure that things are being taken care of. Our next position is, of course, our equipment manager. And their job is just to make sure that the tools that are in the trailer are cleaned and stored at the end of every day. There is a lot of money in these trailers, and so it's important to make sure that everything goes back and we keep, take good care of it. And then we have our safety officer. I kind of think of the safety officer as the mom, because their responsibility is to make sure that the team is cared for. They're going to make sure that they're taking breaks, that they're getting enough to drink, they're using their PPE. We all know what PPE is, right? Post-COVID, I think everyone knows PPE, right? Okay. Um, and then our final position is our listener and recorder. And this person is responsible for listening to the survivors. This could mean being a shoulder to cry on, making sure that the team knows what the decide, making sure that the team knows what the survivor's wishes are. It is always, always up to the survivor to make decisions about their personal disaster. Maybe you're just listening to them share memories. It's important to note that you're not going to put your pastor in this position. This person does not provide pastoral care. So now we know what ERTs, what the roles are within a team. What does an ERT do? Well, to be perfectly honest, the role of an ERT will depend on the needs of the survivor. We might be doing a muck out. This is when we clean out the area that has been affected by the disaster. If there was a flood, for example, the basement might be full of water, mud, and debris. We would begin by pumping out the water, pulling out the debris, which might be somebody's personal possessions. We will have to go through these possessions with the survivor and try to salvage any items that the survivor might want. We also might need to gently explain to the survivor why some items can't be salvaged. And then, if there's mud, we're going to shovel the mud out of the basement. 
And this is usually done using five-gallon buckets and a shovel. It's not a highly technical process. Once this is done, we wash everything down, get it good and clean. Maybe open the walls so that things can dry out and remove any insulation that might be there. Because you know what mold loves more than anything else? Dark, damp places. If there's roof damage, we might have to put a tarp on the roof until a contractor can come in and assess the damage. Every recovery is different. No two will ever be exactly the same. Even two homes in the same neighborhood affected by the same disaster can have drastically different recoveries. What do I got here? This picture. This is going to show you the first recovery I ever went on with a disaster response team. This was actually about this time last year. I went to Fort Myers, Florida to respond to a call for help after Hurricane Ian. During the three days that we spent in Florida, we worked every day in this home. Another team from Georgia, I think, came in and mucked out the house. Everything this survivor owned was piled up in her driveway waiting for dumpsters so that it could be loaded up and hauled away. Her home had four feet of water in it. Take a moment and think about what in your home is below four feet. Everything below four feet had to be thrown away. The nature of this disaster was seawater and sewage. And well, it's hard to salvage stuff that's been in that kind of disaster. It's really hard to clean large items of furniture, especially wood and dishes, anything ceramic, because they absorb that water. Any appliance that's been in the water, gone. Salt water creates a fire hazard. Most of this survivor's life was cleaned out of their home. She took a small duffel bag with her when she left her home, and that was basically what she had left of her life. 75 years, that's what she had left. Can you move to the next slide for me? So I don't know if you can see it, but these are the water lines on the outside of the home. That was the first thing we saw when we arrived. And I'll tell you, I had never seen water that high. It was humbling. And then this one, nope, I guess I didn't delete that slide. Go ahead, skip there. Nope, keep going. Keep going. This is the inside of her home. And you can see on the door, the water line there, how high that water got inside her home. This was actually her laundry room. Pretty empty. There's dirt and debris on the floor still. Um, so then we got there. And using a handy-dandy tool called a moisture meter, we determined how high the walls had to be cut out. Most of the walls had to be cut out about four feet, five-ish. Um, David Kissinger is really good about figuring this stuff out because somebody has to come in behind you and do a rebuild. And so he was very, very meticulous about making sure that when we cut walls out, we would be able to bring in and cut drywall easily and quickly to fill those holes. Not that we were going to do that, but the team coming in behind us. The walls in this home were plaster and lathe, which let me just tell you that was a lot of work to cut out and haul out. But we did it for three straight days. 
That's me. Um, you can skip to the next slide. Um, that was the kitchen. Everything in the entire kitchen from floor to ceiling had to be um, removed from the home. Uh, by the time we got there, the cement walls, because this house had cement walls as well, were starting to grow mold, and you can see that. Um, there's a chemical in the trailer that we have that we spray on that and scrub it down, and it actually does a really amazing job, but it's very, very expensive for um, stopping mold growth if you can catch it soon enough. Pastor Kendra kind of briefly talked about how UMCOR responds to disasters. And right now, this year, there are six events that, um, oh, that's the church we slept in on the way down. Okay. Um, six events that UMCOR is currently responding to across um, the country. The one, the most recent um, and most relevant maybe to us is that in Bucks County, in mid-July, there was flooding and a lot of damage, loss of life, things like that. And uh, UMCOR is responding to that one. All right, so let's talk about what's next. I think the first thing you guys need to make sure you do is create a disaster plan so that you're prepared to help your community when a disaster happens before and after because sometimes you know something's coming a hurricane or I don't know, probably flooding I don't think Meadville has a lot of flooding do you guys have a lot of flooding here no I mean Titusville is really bad they tend to flood often and they're just down the road from you guys so I hear that you guys are gonna fill, build um, cleaning buckets today and that is a really great way to help. But can you find a place to store 50 to 100 buckets here? Because they're going to be really important in your local community if there's a disaster. Don't get me wrong, the Mission Barn is amazing. But if you have a flood in your area and you have to wait for someone to go to the Mission Barn and get buckets and bring them back here, that's valuable time that's lost. So if you have a place you can store 50 to 100 buckets, I recommend that you do. But you know what else you can do? You can volunteer. You can volunteer and take the training and become an ERT. In Western Pennsylvania Conference, there are only 189 ERTs. 11 of those have expired training. In the Erie Meadville District, we have 10. Who will answer the call when we have a disaster in our community? So Dennis Swineford has issued a challenge. Do you guys hear this at your charge conference? To um, build cleaning buckets? Franklin District recently finished theirs. And just in case you guys were looking for a goal, they have 39 churches and they built 379 cleaning buckets valued at $28,425, 131 hygiene kits, valued at $1,572, and monetary donations in the amount of $16,092.82 for a total value of $46,089.82. Can Erie Meadville do better than that? I hope so. I'd like to uh, 
see our numbers be higher. <sighs> so I was going to ask you for questions, but now I'm going to share a little piece of information with you. My husband and I currently have, and probably will for a very long time, custody of our grandson, Riker. He is medically complex. He has a lot of medical issues. And I'm not telling you this because I want sympathy or um, praise. I'm telling you this because I accepted the position of disaster response coordinator to the, er or to the Western Pennsylvania Conference because I believe so strongly in this mission. I have told people for about the last three years that disaster relief is the uh, United Methodist best kept secret. Nobody knows we exist. And when you have a program as amazing as this, who goes in and helps communities recover after terrible disasters, everybody needs to know. And the way that people learn this and know it is by coming into the churches and telling people, by recruiting ERTs to be part of our program. And when you see someone who has a disaster, let them know that this program exists and we're here to help them. It's free. Everybody involved in disaster relief, I'm a volunteer. I was a volunteer as the district and on the conference level. I do this for free. I do it because helping people is one of those things that I'm very passionate about. So, do you have any questions? When is the next training? That is an amazing question. I actually don't know because I'm not trained to train yet, but we are going to be having a train the trainer training, say that five times fast, in either January or February. So I intend to have a um, ERT training in the Erie Meadville area in March or April. And if you are interested in that, which I hope that you are, you'll let Kendra know and she'll either get you my information or she'll get that information to me so that we can coordinate that. What other questions do we have? Anything else? Yes. So there is an organization called VIM, Volunteers in Mission. And we have meetings, mostly by Zoom, because people are all over the place. And so when there is a disaster, someone owns that disaster within the local community. It might be... Um, the United Methodist Church, it might be um, the Red Cross, and there's like five or six other organizations, and I wasn't prepared to answer this question, but those people, one of those groups is going to own that disaster, and they're going to do assessments of homes, for example, and um, then they'll have a list, there's a website, bulletin board thing that lists all the homes, and then different organizations go in and they claim those homes and then they're responsible for making sure that the starting of that process is done. Um, it's important to recognize that ERTs will never spend more than three straight days on any recovery. And that is because the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual draining that comes from that is overwhelming. And I would never have believed that until I spent three days in Florida responding to the disaster there. Um, we were up before the sun, and we did not come back into that church and shower in these amazing little trailer showers. 
really great. I highly recommend you never have to do that. But it, it feels a little weird. It's like the floor moves. It's kind of interesting. But if I would not have been limited to three days, I would have stayed. Um, one of the things that really struck me for my response into Florida was talking to Steve, who was the coordinator of that mission. And he told me, even today, there are going to be homes in that community that are living with mold, that have not had their homes treated because they don't have the financial means to do it, and they don't know that there are organizations that can help them. Five years from now, there will still be homes in Florida recovering from Hurricane Ida. And to me, that is heartbreaking. Did I answer your question? All right. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to come.